Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to your extraordinary business. I'm your host, Jim Nemitz, CEO and President of the Extraordinary Business Builders. You know, folks, I asked you a question. Are you able to turn adversaries into allies? And I'm sure that better than 95% of you sat back and thought long and hard about that and said to yourself, no. As a matter of fact, most of you out there probably never even thought about attempting to do that. And as I was talking to our guest just a few minutes ago, it's probably why you have so many problems right now. Now, tonight, backed by popular demand, especially my own, I have Bob Berg uh, right now. If you folks remember, we had him on a couple of years ago for about an hour, and then some months ago uh, he was in here for a half hour. And I'm going to tell you something, that that appetizer didn't even wet my whistle. And I know it didn't wet a lot of your whistles out there if you remember Bob being on the show because the information that he has for you tonight is just absolutely outstanding. Bob is a sought-after speaker at corporate conferences and for entrepreneurial events. He regularly addresses audiences ranging in size from 50 to 16,000, sharing the platform with notables, including today's top thought leaders, broadcast personalities, uh, uh, Olympic athletes, and political leaders, including a former United States president. Bob's book, Adversaries into Allies, Win people over without manipulation or coercion is something that I tell everyone out there you need to have in your hands, not on your bookshelves, because I know how dusty those things get sitting on your bookshelves, but in your hands. You shouldn't put it down until you've read it cover to cover. You really need that education. Bob, how are you? Well, I'm I'm much better now after that wonderful introduction. Thank you. What an honor. <laughs> an honor. It's an honor to have you back on the show. I mean, uh, this, you know, we have enough stuff working against business owners without having this subject matter working against them as well. You know, you have the economy. You, you have everything that's going on out there in the world that's troubling people within their individual in- industries. You have the health care issues. Then you pile up with the interpersonal stuff, this this warring and, 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 and not being able to work with other people who could actually move your business forward. Mm. They need as many weapons in, in, in their arsenal as they possibly can. And I believe that's what your book is. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. it. It is meant to really equip people with the people skills, if you will, to be able to... Um, you know, move people to action in a way that really benefits everyone involved. Mm. And how little do I see that? And and I was telling you before we, we went on the air, with all the people that I coach, consult, and train in business, I run into this quite often. As a matter of fact, I run into it all of the time. Having said that, 
without your book, it's difficult to steer people in the right direction because you can tell people that this 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 battling this this problem that you're having out there is only going to push you backwards. You can tell them that, but you need something to move them forward. So I, I'm just so glad for the book. Well, thank you. So glad. So now the title of your book is interesting in that it's adversaries into allies. Are you saying that everyone and anyone who is in any way disagrees with you is your enemy? <laughs> well, it, you know, it does sound like that, uh, but no, not not necessarily. Um, there are different types of adversaries, and, and you know, what, what typically the case is, um, is that it's really not someone who's a bad person or, or maybe even someone who you would normally dislike. It's just someone who, for whatever reason, because of the context of the situation, is standing in the way of your pursuit of happiness, of your satisfaction, for example. <laughs> uh, it could be that uh, you want to return an item that you don't like, and you, if you're like I am, you threw away the receipt or you simply lost it, and you you approach the customer service desk, and behind the customer service representative, there's this big old sign saying, no return without receipt. And, you know, this this customer service person maybe hasn't been trained, hasn't been equipped to know how to deal with a customer who, who has lost his receipt or doesn't have one, but who's a good customer, and doesn't know how to do it in a way that is really beneficial to everyone involved. So it's up to you to be able to uh, even though it doesn't seem like it should be this way, it is what it is, and it's up to you to be that person who knows how to deal with them in such a way that you get the results you want while helping them feel genuinely good about themselves. Uh, you know, that's one that's one situation. It could be uh, the boss, uh, you, and you you need to ask for a raise, and maybe you love this boss, great person, but the boss doesn't feel as though he or she wants to give you a raise, and they're not going to give you a raise because you need the money. They're only going to give you a raise because they believe your value to yeah, give that rate, you know, the money. So you're going to need to communicate in a way that, that is persuasive and that makes the point and shows where it's in the boss's best interest to do so. So, But at the moment, they are in an adversarial position. But, you know, it really, in a sense, I think, and, and maybe even the message of the book, comes down to what I believe is one of the most brilliant quotes ever to be uttered. And it was it was said by a man by the name of Sadaharu O. And for those who aren't baseball fans who, who might not know who he is, he is one of the you know the great. He, he's a, a Hall of Fame baseball player in the Japanese Professional Baseball League. Uh, they used to call him the Japanese Babe Ruth because he, his his home run hitting was so profound. Uh, he actually hit more home runs, I think 868 more home runs than Babe Ruth, than Hank Aaron, than uh, ba uh, Barry Bonds. Uh, and and Sadaharu O said that I have never looked at the opposing pitcher as my adversary, but rather as my partner in hitting home runs. <laughs> And I think that is so deep, because we've got to understand, it's not that the pitcher saw himself as his partner in, in Sadaharu O hitting home runs. Only Sadaharu O saw that. But that's all that mattered. That's what was important. So whether it's the customer service person, a team member, our sales prospect, our sales manager, or wh whoever it happens to be, it's not that they necessarily need to, to see themselves as, as partners in our attaining satisfaction. We just need to be able to. But what we need to be able to do is 
get the results we want in such a way that that other person feels genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. And the people who can do that are the successful people. Well, talking about flipping the switch, wow, that definitely flips the switch. Uh, we hear the word influence used a lot, and, and that word is used throughout your book. Mm-hmm. What really is influence, and why is it so important? Well, on a very, very basic level, we can define influence as simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a, a specific goal. What what people get confused about when it comes to influence is they think influence is about pushing yourself on others until until someone breaks, until someone bends. And what and you know, I always love when I speak at a leadership conference. And I'll and I'll I'll ask, uh, you know, how how far can you push a rope? And everyone laughs. We all laugh because we know the answer is not very far. At least not very fast or very effectively. Theoretically, you could push it far, but it, it, you know. Um, and so and that's because influence is not about push. Uh, you know, you'd never hear someone say, "Wow, that that Tom or that Mary, uh, she is so influential. She has a lot of push." No, right. she has a lot of pull, <laughs> because that's what influence is. It, it, it's, uh, it's an attraction, I guess you could say. Great influencers attract people to themselves and to their ideas. And again, they do this not through push, not through being pushy, not through pushing themselves on others, but through, through pull. And this pull we're talking about is really a very um, legitimate form of power. Power being the opposite of force. What is force? Force is control. It's manipulation, intimidation, compliance. It's often a function of what we call positional authority. In leadership teaching, it's actually called positional leadership, right? The person has a title, Mm -hmm. uh, department head, supervisor, manager, uh, employer. And let's face it, let's face it, you know, even someone with just positional authority can still compel certain people to do certain things. The employee knows if he or she wants any chance of advancement, a promotion, a raise, uh, or to not be punished or disciplined or, or even fired, they need to do what they're told. But again, that's compliance. And the biggest challenge with trying to lead or influence through, uh, you know, through compliance, and this is whether you're leading a team of thousands or a hundred or a committee of five or a family member or a friend or that difficult customer service representative for whom you need help. The the biggest challenge with trying to influence uh, this way is that at best, that person will do exactly what they're told and not, not one bit more. <laughs> okay, and, and that's at best. At worst, they'll find a way to sabotage the process completely, consciously or you know, or unconsciously. Um, but again, that's you know, that's compliance, and the opposite of compliance is commitment. Now, when you've been able to earn someone's commitment, that's a whole different story. And wow. this commitment. And are we coming up to a break? Because I don't want to overtalk. If we're no, uh, no, you go right ahead. No, okay. we're fine. Okay, and and you know if uh, this compl- this uh, commitment is really earned, by, I think the influencer understanding something that um, 
that I believe was Dale Carnegie's foundational premise in his in his uh, masterful book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, where he wrote, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. And so the, the great influencer constantly questions themselves. They, they ask themselves, you know, how does what I'm asking this person to do align with their goals, their wants, their needs, their desires? How does what I'm asking this, this other person to do align with their values? And to the degree we ask ourselves these questions intelligently, thoughtfully, uh, genuinely, authentically, not as a way to manipulate another human being into doing our will, but as a way to help help build everyone in the process, uh, that's the degree that we have come closer to earning that commitment. And there's a huge difference between commitment and compliance. I love what my my great friend and mentor, Dondi Scumachi, says about this. Uh, I think this is so brilliant. She says, compliance will never take you where commitment can go. Mm. Compliance will never take you where commitment can go. In other words, mm. great influencers understand they know that they accomplish great things with others. And the best ones know that when it comes right down to it, it's never about them. Great leadership is never about the leader. Great influence is never about the influencer. And great salesmanship is never about the salesperson. Who is it about? Well, you know who it's about. It's about that other person. It's about everyone whose lives you choose to touch. It's about everyone whose lives you choose to add value to. And to the degree that you're willing to place that other person's interest first and focus on, on their win, that's actually the degree that your influence will grow. You know, when you're talking that way, and, and I know the answer to the question I'm getting ready to ask you, I know the answer, but there are a lot of bosses that are listening to this radio show tonight, or they will listen to it when they download it on iTunes, and I want them to get your answer. Can't a boss or employer or supervisor just order their employees to do what they want? I mean, after all, if it's not done, they can fire them and get someone else. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they can. They can can do anything they want. The the question is, uh, what kind of results are they getting? And the chances are that, you know, if they are managing or quote-unquote leading like that, they're not really getting the most out of their people. Their people are doing the, the, the minimum amount possible. There's an arm's-length relationship. And, uh, you know, in the, in the day of the, you know, machine and the, you know, the factory, uh, that, could, that could, you know, that could work. I still don't think it was as productive as, as it could have been otherwise, but back when that was the management style, you know, that was, you know, it, it worked better. Today, it's a whole different story. And, you know, if you really want the people in your organization uh, being committed to your goal, you're going to have to, to to help tie your goal in with their goals, in with their values. And, and again, as the boss, you don't have to, but you don't have to do anything. But then it goes back to that Dr. Phil question, how's that working for you? <laughs> and, you know, and, and usually it's not. <laughs> usually it's absolutely not. <laughs> Folks, for those of you that may have joined us late, 
My guest this evening is the incomparable Bob Berg. Bob is the author of the book, Adversaries into Allies, Win People Over Without Manipulation or Coercion. Let me tell you something else about Bob. Although for years he was best known for his book, Endless Referrals, over the past few years it's been his business parable, The Go-Giver, co-authored with John David Mann, that has captured the heart and imagination of his readers. It shot to number six on the Wall Street Journal's business bestsellers list in just three weeks after its release and reached number nine on Business Weeks. It's been translated into 21 languages, and it's his fourth book to sell over 250,000 copies. Now, having said all of that, Bob believes his new book, Adversaries into Allies, when people with over without manipulation or coercion is far, is by far his most important work yet. Bob, how can folks get this book? Uh, best thing to do is for them just to visit uh, Berg, B-U-R-G dot com. And while they're there, they can subscribe if they'd like to my Influence and Success Insights. And they can uh, they can get Chapter 1 of uh, The Go-Giver and Adversaries into Allies to see if they, they like where it's headed first. And then if they enjoy it and would like to purchase it, they can always click through to Amazon.com right through my site. And, folks, I urge you, please, uh, you know, um, I'm looking at it from the vantage point of being a business coach, okay, and being a business consultant and training and trainer. And I know what I see out there, and I know the problems that I see. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story right now, Bob, and it, and it goes to show you about this whole issue and, and what people need to do in terms of training their own personnel. Uh, I went to see the specialist, and this particular specialist it happens to be a uh, someone that my wife has referred all of the family to that you know that might need that particular type of of, of situation. And so this is my first time seeing the doctor myself, even though he's had a number of people from my family that that he serviced. And so I went there, and I hate going to doctors. I'm a typical guy. I hate it. And so I get there, and it's in, it's in the evening. I just have a long, hard day, and I walk in, and there's this young lady sitting behind the desk, and I and I said to her, my name is Jim Nemley. I have an appointment with doc, with the doctor. And so she said, um, um, do you have your referral slip? I said, uh, with my insurance, you, you call in your code, and it's already checked in, so there's no referral slip. No, the only way you can do this is with a referral slip. Mm. And I said, uh, actually, that's not exactly so. Um, you, all you need to do is dial that number, and they will give you the approval. On the Well, no, you have to have a slip, otherwise the doctor cannot see you. So I got my wife on the phone, okay, and she's the authority, and I said to her, you know, this young lady said that I can't see the doctor without a referral slip. So she said, give her the phone. So my wife tried to tell her how to do this. Apparently the young lady is new, all right? And she refused my wife. So I took the phone back, and I said to her, young lady, I just want to make this abundantly clear. If I don't see the doctor this evening, 
not only will I never come back here again, but I am going to demand that my entire family, who the doctor sees, stops seeing him. Well, I'm sorry, sir. There's nothing we can do. And I heard you tell, you tell the doctor that he's lost eight patients. And I walked out. So my wife called me as I was getting in the car, and she said, why don't I just straighten it out with the doctor? You know, um, she's new. It's not his fault. I said, no, you're entirely wrong. It's his job to mm-hmm. train her. Mm-hmm. It's his job to train her. Any fault that it starts at the top. Absolutely. I forbid anyone to come back to his practice again. And to this day, we've not gone back. They've lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and well-deserved, because I'll tell you that, it, it absolutely starts from the top. She was not equipped to to not only not handle it in terms of, of uh, the actionable items, okay, which was which is really just a matter of lack of training. She also right. just simply didn't understand empathy. She didn't understand that she has a, a human being in front of her who right. is nervous, who is scared, who has to see a doctor, who doesn't want to, who mm-hmm. has quite, you know, and and she she totally went, she was, it, it was very much, she was focused on herself. She was I-focused yes. or, or me-focused. And that comes yes. from the top. That's a cult, That's part of a culture. And so right. when there's a company culture that, sa- that that says it's about us, not about our patient, then it's not a matter of someone being new. It's a matter mm-hmm. of that's the culture. That's the culture. There it is. There it is. And I actually had to give my wife a business lesson when I got home. You know, it doesn't work that way. It's no one individual who makes the company bad. It's yeah, what she did was simply a, a, a symptom of the actual Ex- that's exactly <laughs> the that's exactly the case all right and the you know the bad thing about it is we like the guy but you yeah. know what uh, i'm a stickler when it comes down to stuff like that i really really am you know in your book really hits it on the mark well now, you know as 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 believers in the free enterprise mm-hmm. system we we mm-hmm. don't want we we want to reward people who provide value Right. And, and value is more than just the product or service itself. That's right. Value That's has right. to do with excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, appreciation. And, Absolutely. And we don't want to reward that which should not be rewarded. Exactly the case. You know, people make a mistake and think it, and think that people are purchasing their product or their services. And that's not so. They're purchasing you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if exactly. you and yours don't deport themselves properly, they will not purchase you any longer. All right, so you can have all of the accolades in the world, but you know if you're not providing the right the right you uh, to your to your client or to your customer, then you're going to lose them. All right, mm-hmm. so I can understand exactly what you're saying here and how applicable your book is to this particular subject matter and it's and it's a personal sore spot with me when I see poor customer service. Yeah, my I hear you there and it's so avoidable. Mhm. Now you claim that there's a big difference between persuasion and manipulation. Is there really though? Uh yeah, actually it's 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 significant. Uh and yet they begin from a similar place because of influence is is the ability to move a person 
to a certain action, uh, there are really two ways to do it. Uh, one is through manipulating others. The other is through persuading others. And what's interesting is the two of them are cousins. Now, one of them is the evil cousin, and, and one is the good cousin, <laughs> but they're cousins. Now, why do I say that? Well, because both the manipulator and the persuader, they both understand human nature. They understand human motivation. They know how to elicit action from people. However, uh, not only is the intent totally different, but the results are different as well. And, and, and let me explain what I mean. Um, there was a book I read back in the 90s, uh, and it was actually written in 1986. It was called The Art of Talking So That People Will Listen. It was written by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Paul W. Sweats. And it was actually, despite the title, it was actually more about listening than it was about talking. Uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful book. And in this book, he gave what I thought was the best explanation ever of the difference between manipulation and, and persuasion. He wrote that manipulation... Um, aims at control, not cooperation. It does not consider the good of the other party. It results in a win-lose situation. Now, in direct contrast to the manipulator, he wrote, the persuader seeks to enhance the self-esteem of the other party. Uh, thus, people, res you know, the result is people respond uh, uh, better because they're treated as responsible, self-directing individuals. Now, what that says is, is basically, you know, both the manipulator and the persuader can, can elicit immediate action, but that's really where it ends, because once you know you've been manipulated, and, you know, with a manipulator, the key is they, they may not be trying to purposely hurt you, but they don't necessarily care if they do, as long as it gets them the results they want. They're win-at-all-costs. They're very I-focused or me-focused. Uh, and once you know you've been manipulated, you're going to go out of your way to avoid that person, to resist that person, to have as little to do with that person as possible. Even if you have to work with them, live with them, be around them, socialize with them, you're going to do the best you can to not be, uh, you know, not 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 be manipulated by them. You're always they've they've in other words they've totally broken trust with you. Right. On the other hand, with a persuader, that will never happen because for a persuader to feel good about the situation, they've got to know that you feel good about the situation. And so once you've been persuaded by someone, you feel great about that person because you know they had your best interest at heart and you're much more likely to commit to their, uh, uh, to their idea. So not wow. only is not only is it not only is manipulation not good life practice, it's not good business practice. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, in the book, you, you, and, and it also plays out here. You talk about people skills. Now, you talk about them early, and you talk about them often, and, mm -hmm. and you seem to put a lot of emphasis on their importance. Why are they so important? Uh, well, you know, they are they are important because really, and I, and I think many people know, and certainly as a very successful business coach, you've seen it, that uh, you, know, you can have all the, the, the positive success uh, attributes. You can, you can uh, be very talented and of extremely high character. Uh, you can be, uh, you know, ambitious, kind, uh, charitable, hardworking, thrifty, energetic. You can have a, 
a knack for numbers and a head for business. You can be even-tempered and creative and, and much, much more. Um, however, you know, unless you can uh, influence others, move people to the appropriate and desired action, your chances for attaining really huge success is, is somewhat limited. Uh, on the other hand, when combining uh, learn, uh, benevolent intent and a learned skill set, you can find yourself constantly, consistently, and even predictably attaining satisfaction both business-wise and personally while adding exceptional value to the lives of everyone you meet. Now, I, 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 and again, I, you know, uh, you're a very successful coach, and, and tell me if you've ever seen this, that someone, whether climbing the corporate ladder or just, you know, in sales, in... Uh, um, or just a small business, what have you, who can have many of those attributes that we mentioned earlier and have attained some very legitimate levels of success, and yet they're kind of passed right by <laughs> by that person who seems to have that way of eliciting buy-in and commitment and agreement from others. And what it really comes down to is people skills, and people skills come down to uh, to you know that that ability to get the results you want with others in such a way, again, that, that everyone feels good about the situation. Wow. And the funny part about all of that, and I see it in many of the companies that I work with, it, it's a natural thing. People are so uh, apt to sharpening their own particular skills to climb the ladder that the last skill that they ever even think about is people skill. Right, yeah. and you know that's a, it's a shame. It really is a shame. Well, you know, years ago, uh, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith uh, wrote a, a wonderful book called uh, "What Got You Here Won't, Won't Get You There," and mm. he made this this fantastic point that due to to talent and just a wonderful amount of talent, people can get to a certain level. And they may, though, have some real faults, and those faults might be in terms of how they deal with people, how they work with people, they're, they, you know, and, and, and yet because they've reached a certain level through just sheer grittiness and talent and hard work, they mistakenly think that they got there because of all those things, not in spite of things like not being good with people. And so they're not really even aware. And so because of that, you know, you can climb a certain, you can get it to a certain point along that corporate ladder, absolutely, through talent and hard work and all the, the different things. But what got you there isn't going to get you to that next level. And typically that next level has to do with how you deal with people. Wow, that's absolutely so. Absolutely so. Uh, you say that ultimately people do things for their reasons and not our reasons. Mm -hmm. Are people really that selfish? I mean, isn't that going to spoil people's desire to think of other people as well as themselves as good people? You know, what about giving a giving to charity or or other mm -hmm. selfless acts? You're saying that people will always have an agenda. Well, those are those are great questions. So, so let's really look at this because this is this this one point is so vitally important to to understand. Because when we say people will do, um, you know what what they want to do, what they choose to do, what what they feel is, uh, uh, you know, in their best interest or self interest, if you will, that should never be cons misconstrued with being. 
uh, irresponsible or a bad person or nasty or something like that. What it is is it means that people will, will act congruently with their belief system and, and with their values. And, in fact, we can only be happy, and we all seek happiness. We can only be truly happy when we're acting in accordance with our belief system so, uh, and our values. So, let, so let's, let's bring up something specific that you, that you mentioned about giving to charity. Somebody uh, is an animal lover, and they, they, they write a check for $10,000 to uh, their local humane society or animal shelter. You say, well, oh my gosh, that's so wonderful. Uh, that, that was totally a selfless act. No, it wasn't. It was not a selfless act at all. It was totally congruent with that person's values. To them, that $10,000, they feel better about themselves by having that $10,000 go to the animal shelter than if they spent it on something else. So it was not selfless. Now, it was nice. It was very good, it was kind, but that's that person's value system. But no, it's always congruent with, with what you believe. And the biggest mistake that we can ever make is to think that, that, that people will willingly do something contrary to their values. Mm. I they might be that. forced into it, they might be manipulated into it, they might be, you know, they might be threatened, whatever, sure, they'll, they'll do what they have to do. But it's a mistake to think someone will willingly do something contrary to what will bring them happiness, which would, which would mean to act congruently with their values. Wow, wow. For you folks... And, and by the way, uh, this is a good thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, God, I was just going to say, that's, that's a good thing. There's nothing bad with that. That's good. No. It means that you know in the business world that the only reason why this person's going to buy from you isn't because you have a quota to meet. They're right. going to buy from you because they believe that the transaction is going to be of greater value to them than the money they're exchanging for it. So that's, that's absolutely great. right. It means it, that it you focus on, on yeah. That's definitely great. You you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, you know, it's it's funny because uh, it, we when we talked before the show started, uh, I was saying how you know with all of there's a large number of businesses that I work with different personalities, the whole nine yards. But I have to say this, no one really focuses on this. And and it's unfortunate because you can get so much further ahead if you understood these principles. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you really understood these principles, uh, you probably won't book as many hours with me. So, you know, I'm I'm telling people about your book, Bob, but you may put me out of business. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> For those of you that may have joined me the show late, my guest this evening is Bob Berg. And uh, Bob is the author of Adversaries into Allies, Win People Over Without Manipulation or Coercion. And let me tell you, folks, if you don't have the book, and many of you probably do not, it's time to get it. Uh, Bob, how can they get this book? Um, if they visit my website, which is Berg, and that's spelled B-U-R-G dot com, they can, they can get Chapter 1 of uh, The Go-Giver and uh, Adversaries into Allies to see if they like the book. And while they're there, they can subscribe to my uh, Influence and Success Insights, and they can check out my blog and connect with me on the various social media 
and so forth. So we've pretty much got everything there right on that home page. So if they'd like to come to Berg.com and hang out for a while, uh, they are invited. And, you know, folks, I believe you really ought to. Uh, I run into people who are truly incredibly skilled. I mean, they're gifted with what they do. All right, and obviously they're not calling upon me to help them become more gifted in what they do in terms of the products or the services that they put out there. They're getting me because I can help them with their business systems and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful thing. But my goodness, you know, this is so. At this is, I equate this as being even more important than much of the stuff that I do because if you do this initially. You won't have as many problems for me to come in to untangle as I do when I come in. Well, you know, and I appreciate that, but they're they're both important because it's it, you've got to be able to. It's it's as uh, Stephen M. R. Covey in his in one of his books, uh, 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 the tr- the the speed of trust. He wrote, you know, it, it's both character and competence. You, you can't have one without the other. So you know, you can have True. a great. Uh, systemization that you teach and all the great things. If you don't have people skills, you're obviously not going to go as far as you could, but you can have all the great mm-hmm. people skills in the world, but if you don't have a system and knowledge of running your business, you're going to be, you know, this. just a very nice, unsuccessful person. So we, we like people to be nice and successful. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know how it is when you're trying to open up a window, if you jerk it up from one corner, it jams? Mm-hmm. All right, you, you've got to lift it evenly from both sides. Right. I believe both sides have to be applied. But unfortunately, there's more work that needs to be done on the left hand than on the right <laughs> hand, and it's stuck. <laughs> now, you talk about there being five principles of ultimate influence. What are there? What are they? And, and, and is ultimate influence different from regular influence? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, they, You know, the, with, with influence itself, which I define as, as uh, you know, the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, uh, ultimate influence simply means that you're, you're doing that and you're, you're getting the results you want when dealing with others. Uh, but the key to that is that you're doing that while helping that other person feel genuinely good about themselves. Uh, genuinely good about the situation, genuinely good about you, and so that's that's really the difference between regular influence and ultimate influence. And and uh, to be an ultimate influencer, you know, we follow what I call the five uh, principles of ultimate influence, and uh, 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 those are control your own emotions, understand the clash of belief systems, acknowledge their ego, set the proper frame, and communicate with tact and empathy. And all of those together, and they're very intuitive. They they kind of just naturally flow one into the other. Um, uh, you know, once you're doing that, it's just the, the results, the success that you'll have with others is is so predictable. It's just it's just fun. Mm. So, but now, when you talk about these five principles, control your own emotion. That sounds obvious, but what do you really mean by that? Well, you know, the, the, the sages asked a, a question and then answered. The, the question was, who is a mighty person? And they answered that person who can control their own emotions and make of an enemy or of a potential enemy a friend. 
See, it's only when you can control your own emotions, when you're in control of yourself, that you're even in a position to take a, a potentially negative situation or person and turn it into a, a win for everyone involved. Now, but this is tough. Why? Well, because we're human beings. And as human beings, we are emotional creatures. Now, we like to think of ourselves as logical. And to a, of course, to a certain extent, we, we, we are. But we are really pretty emotionally driven. We make major decisions in our life uh, based on emotion. And then we, we back up those emotional decisions with logic. How? Well, we rationalize. And if you break up the word rationalize, it simply means we tell ourselves rational lies. And we do this in order to justify the emotional decision that we wanted to make. Now, that's one kind of emotion-based ba- uh, action. Another type is allowing ourselves to to be put into a, an emotional state where we feel sad or angry, mad, helpless, you know, what have you. Now, no one can make us feel that way, but what they can do is they can say or do uh, certain things, consciously or, or unconsciously, that push our buttons and cause ourselves to feel that way. And let's say you have an issue of anger, as I used to have, and it would be very easy for someone to say or do something that really triggered off that, that anger. Um, well, when that happens, not only can you not be part of the, the solution, but you're as big a part of the problem as the other person. So you've got two people who are you know, living in, in anger, and they can absolutely cannot, they cannot solve anything. So it's that person who can control their emotion who is able to work this out. Now, you know, the, the key is not to eliminate our emotions, certainly. The key is, is not to, uh, uh, to, to be a, you know, an automaton, to be a robot, not at all. The emotions are a wonderful part of life. They bring us joy. They make life worthwhile. The key is for us to be in charge of our emotions, not for our emotions to be in charge of us. Uh, you know, my friend Dondi Scumachi, who I, I mentioned earlier, I, I quoted her in the book as saying, uh, by all means, take your emotions along for the ride, but make sure you are driving the car. Wow. And, and that's the key. So have your emotions. Bring them along. You know, I was just reading a wonderful, wonderful book. I just blogged about it as well. It was so great. Uh, it's called The uh, Leadership Crisis and the Free Market Cure by uh, former uh, BB&T CEO uh, John Allison, who's now uh, CEO of the Cato Institute. And, and here's what he wrote, and I thought this was brilliant. He wrote, emotions are not a valid means of knowledge. Emotions are not a valid means of knowledge. And we know we make these decisions wow. emotionally, right, even though we know right, better. So, right, right, so, Yeah, so how, you know, how do we make sure that we don't make these counterproductive decisions based on this fact? And, and here's what he said, and I, I thought this was just genius. He wrote, the goal should be to train your emotions so they automatically support the conclusions that your rational mind determined. Wow. You know, brilliant Difficult. Wow. Well worth working on. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So contrary to uh, our 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 normal way of doing things. Mm-hmm. So contrary, you know. Sure, uh, absolutely. Was, yeah. And first, it's being aware of it. It's even knowing that mm-hmm. we act out of emotion to to be able to admit to ourselves that we do. 
uh, <laughs> you know, and do an accounting oh. of it and, and look and, and take a look at the decisions we've made and see where we've made the decision and why and how we rationalized mm. afterwards. We all do it. You know, it's, uh, it's human. <laughs> it's human. And as you were saying that, I was remembering that old Honeymooners episode, you know, pins to needles, needles and pins. It's a happy man that wins, you know, uh, when Ralph Cramden was <laughs> Ralph having Cramden. his ang- anger problems. And right. rather than going into an emotional rant, he had to stand and, and take control of his emotions at that point in time so he could act rationally. So um, <laughs> as soon as you were saying that, I was remembering that. Uh, now, principle number two, understand the clash of belief systems. What do you mean by belief systems? You know, it sounds like something religious. <laughs> right, and I guess they could be, but that's not really, uh, that's certainly part of it, but but not really the uh, the crux of what we're talking about in this. But, uh, you know, you think of it, what are, what are beliefs? Well, a belief is a subjective truth, a subjective truth. It's the truth as that person understands the truth to be, um, which means it might be the truth or it might not be. You know, sometimes uh, sometimes my truth, what I see as the truth, is the truth, but often it's not. Um, and yet, you know, we see the world and we see these truths based on our beliefs, our belief system. Uh, uh, our belief system is, is basically a combination of, of upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, popular culture, cultural mores, everything we touch, taste, see, uh, hear, smell, what have you. Um, all the experiences that come into our life comprise our belief system. However, and this is key, typically by the time we're little more than toddlers, our basic overall belief system is pretty much in place. And every wow. experience that comes in, into our lives after that is simply added on to that basic premise, which is our belief system. Uh, I also call this our unconscious operating system. Uh, you know, both of us, we go through life, we grow up, we grow through life, really not even knowing that everything we're thinking and saying and feeling and doing is based on a, a set of beliefs that we had really nothing to do with consciously bringing into our world. It was handed to us, and uh, and you know, and that's how we see see the world. Now, it, it's not so much just that we go through this belief system, which is you know, which we do, but this other person with whom we're about to have this potentially difficult transaction or conversation or what have you. Well, they're also living their life through their belief system. So you've got, and their belief system is most likely different than yours. Now, what's interesting, though, is as human beings, we tend to think everyone sees the world basically the way we do. Uh, this is why you hear people say things like, oh, everybody feels that way, uh, or right. nobody likes that, right? Or if you've ever heard someone say, and maybe you've said this, I know I've said this, and that is, oh, I would never treat someone like that. Oh, right? yeah. Well, no, we wouldn't because it's not congruent with our belief system, our unconscious operating system, but it is for someone else. So uh, so the key is not that you necessarily understand their belief system. They probably don't understand their, their belief system. It's understanding that the two of you most likely have two different belief systems, you know, that you're coming to at, at the situation from two different 
points of view, two different viewpoints or models or paradigms or whatever. And as long as you understand that, now you can create the context uh, for a win-win to take place. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Principle three, acknowledge their ego. It really it really does roll off of off of principle two. That sounds important. Acknowledge sure. their well, ego. Yeah. Well, you know, the ego, which is really literally the I, it's the self. It's that sense of self that understands we are a unique uh, individual separate from from all other things and people, which you know in today's politically incorrect world, you know you're not supposed to say things like, well, we're separate and we're unique. Well, you know, and and by the way, of course, I totally subscribe to you know uh, Napoleon Hill's uh, mastermind and universal consciousness, mm-hmm. and yeah. certainly quantum physics has 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 taught us that you know the the atoms of a uh, particular vibration, they connect with each other. Oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I have no problem with that. But none of that, none of that, um, none of that is to say that as, uh, or, or is contradictory to the fact that as human beings in our current earthly experience live our lives as individuals. We have our own needs, wants, desires. We seek happiness as an individual. And that's fine. And the ego, which relates to emotions and feelings certainly as well, when we're in control of our ego, we can accomplish great things for ourselves and for society as a whole. Um, When we're not in control, when we're not in charge of our ego, and that's when it can get out of hand and bad things happen. Now, so why do I say acknowledge their ego, not ours? Because we're going to assume the basic premise that we know we've got to acknowledge ours. (laughs) <laughs> but what but the reason I say this in the book is one of the one of the five principles is because we need to understand that if we are ever in a situation where another person is doing something that is in any way counterproductive or their own um peace of mind uh their own happiness their own their um there's a good chance their ego has taken over. Um, and so we need to understand that if their ego has taken over and gotten control of them, then, uh, you know, there's a good chance they're not going to take the appropriate action. And we need to acknowledge this. Now, by the way, when I say acknowledge their ego, um, uh, that doesn't mean you say, hey, buddy, your ego. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean you allowed to acknowledge their ego. It means to yourself you understand that their ego is probably controlling them and controlling the situation, and you understand that about 95% of, uh, you know, of whether this person is going to take the action that you would choose for them to take is based on how you make them feel about themselves, which means you have got to acknowledge their ego. Wow. Yeah, you, you know... Um... In you saying that, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking about the whole thing with the Asian culture, you know, the samurai culture of saving face. And the thing to do is to help them save right. face, all right? And it, it's, it's, about the, it's the same premise, isn't that? Uh, very, very important, and I, I talk about that in the book too. And that is when I say there's never a reason for shaming someone. Uh, 
Uh, you know, the, it, pointing out someone's mistake out loud in a in a crowd in a group. You know. Now, by the way, when I say never, what I mean is uh, that doesn't mean you can never correct someone that you don't want to be uh-huh. true. No, of course not. What I'm talking about is is shaming someone purposely. Right. You know, hurting someone, attacking their ego, uh, either to themselves or to uh, or or to others, and. And, uh, you know, Dale Carnegie talked about that in, in How to Win Friends and Influence People, that he was at a dinner event and somebody made a statement which was which was wrong. And Carnegie, you know, felt he had to, and I know I used to do this, you know, had to make the correction, oh, no, it was really blah, 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 blah. And the person, you know, and his, his the person he was with kind of said, no, Dale, I think he's right. And, you know, afterwards... Dale said, why did you say that? You know, uh, you know he was wrong. And the guy goes, yeah, but what was the point in putting him down in front of others? Why not just let him save face? Uh, now, someone might say, well, but Bob, what if it's an important? Well, then that's different. You can still do it with tact and kindness. You can say something sure. like, you know, I could very well be wrong about this. I'm wondering if it perhaps might have been, boom. You know, and you do it in a whole, in a way that is... And, and so, you know, or afterwards you can talk to the bird, you know, whatever. So I'm just kind of picking out one thing. But, but yes, yeah, you, you don't want to shame people. You want to let people save face. That's very, very important. Wow. Principle four, set the proper frame. What is a frame? Yeah, this, this again, is just it's so vital because it really kind of, well, I, you know, what, what a frame is, is it's the, the, the foundation from which everything else evolves. So it's very important. And let me give you an example that I, I used in the book. I was in a Dunkin' Donuts, and anyone who knows me knows I'm a, a Dunkin' Donuts fanatic. And while I was there, there was a little toddler, probably two, two and a half, three years old, who was, who was running around the restaurant playing. Now, his parents called him over, so as he began to walk over to, toward his parents, he took a spill on the floor. He, he fell. Now, he didn't fall hard, and, and he wasn't hurt, you could tell, but, but you could also tell he was very shocked. He was surprised. He intuitively knew that was not supposed to happen. So he immediately did what? He looked at his mom and dad for their interpretation. Right. Uh, in other words, you know what happened happened. He fell. Now it's like, okay, mom and dad, what comes next in this thing? You know, and I really believe that had his his parents kind of panicked or you know sort of reacted or or went, oh no, are, you know, are you okay? I think he would have started crying because it looked like he could have gone either either way with that. But what happened right. is his his parents just handled it so beautifully. They applauded. They smiled. They you know, they laugh. They say, oh, that looks like such a fun trick. And, you know, and immediately the little boy began to laugh, right? And so what the parents did, Jim, is they they set a a productive frame from which he could operate. And that's wow. the key. Yeah, and we can do that whenever we meet someone, uh, whether it's with a, a, a friendly smile or our body language or just uh, our opening words to but we also have to be able to to reframe someone else's already negative frame. Let's say, you know, back when, when we were we talked about the, the young man at the customer service desk, right? And let's say he wasn't able to help us and we had to, you know, to, to politely ask for his manager. And, the, you know, he goes back and says to the manager, someone wants to return something. But when the manager who's been at his job for 10 years, hates his job, has to deal with people doing this all day, he, you know, kind of... He, he he knows he has to act polite, but he's ready to quote the rule book and you know so forth and so on. But he's ready for a fight, right? Now that's his frame. It's going to be him right. against the customer. However, 
when he comes out, you have a genuine smile on your face. Your hand is outstretched, and you walk toward him, and, and you say, Hi, Mr. Jones, thank you so much for taking a moment of your time to come out and speak with me. I know you're very, very busy. Boom. You've now just just reframed this from, you know, the the aggravating customer to the real, just to the delight, to the, the one that this person wants to please. Wow. You know, you move from and, adversary to ally. And, and and finally, and we have about four minutes, the fifth principle, communicate with tact and empathy. It just rolls right together. Yeah. You know, my, my dad has always defined tact as the language of strength. And I and I think this is so important to be able to speak to people and communicate with people tactfully. You know, tact really, in a, in a sense, what it does is it allows us to teach. It allows us to to correct, to critique, to constructively criticize. Not that we ever want to do any of those things, but you know, we're talking about the real world. We're not talking about a fantasy world. And there are times we need to be able to teach someone a, a more productive, a better way to do something. Um, however, we need to be able to do it in such a way that we're that not only is that person not defensive of us and resistant to our idea, but is is receptive toward us and open to our idea. Intact allows us to do that. And empathy is simply putting ourselves in that other person's place in terms of understanding that that person has concerns and doesn't know things and and has some some challenges that, that you know that they may be feeling. And it's uh, it's letting them know that we may not understand exactly how they feel, but we understand they're feeling something, and that we're there to help them with that. Wow, I, I you know, wow, wow, this this has been an outstanding show. I, I'm going to tell you something. I layer what you what you have in that book. I layer it over what I see in the businesses that I work with. And I see this as a healing balm, something that helps them move forward. Can you tell folks how they can get the book again? Sure. Again, just visit Berg, B-U-R-G, dot com, and you can download uh, Chapter 1 of that book and, and my book, The Go-Giver. And um, if you'd like, you can register for our Influence and Success Insights, which we send out typically weekly. And, folks, Please sign up for that. I mean, think about it. What you heard tonight in one hour's time. And by the way, Bob, this time just flew by. It did. Uh, you know, you. You're I, a I, great I, host. Well, no, you're a great guest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, folks, we're having a mutual admiration society meeting, That's right. and you just <laughs> happened to drop in, okay? Because I do admire Bob and his work, and, and I have to tell you folks, listen, uh, there's a lot of things that we uh, focus on to move our businesses forward. And the thing that we usually leave behind without even having much thought are these things that this book brings out. And imagine being able to be the person that this book defines as you're moving forward with your excellent business expertise. Imagine how much further ahead that you can go. I, I'm telling you, you're you're going to extremely be extremely successful, but it's it's about both things working together. So, Bob, I really thank you for being on the show for Green to come back. I know how extremely busy you are, 
but I'll tell you something. Uh, this was a very, very important subject matter, and folks, take it totally seriously. Well, thank you so much. Have a have a terrific night and a great holiday season. Yes, you too. All right, and you folks have a great holiday, and uh, thank you for dropping in this evening. Uh, for you folks that are going to listen to this later on, uh, make certain that you steal your mind towards not repeating the things you've done wrong in 2014. Buy this book, apply it to your lives, and be successful. Good night and have a blessed and profitable week. Good night all.